Welcome to Joy and Learning, a podcast from the Harley School in Rochester, New York. We are an independent school for nursery through grade 12, where there's always lots of interesting learning going on for us to share with you. In this episode, I spoke with Rashid DeRoso for a sneak peek of his upcoming Common Speaker Series event. Enjoy! Welcome. I am here with Rashid DeRoso, Harley class of 2005, who is currently in New York City at Democracy Prep High School or Democracy Prep Public Schools as the Civics Program Director. Rashid, welcome and thanks for joining us. Hi, Art. Thank you so much for having me. So we were talking a little bit before we started recording um, and we're sort of talking about what we were going to be talking about during the show. And uh, one of the things that has been uh, sort of impactful to me when we're talking about pandemic learning versus pre-pandemic and now getting into sort of post-pandemic-ish learning uh, is that I noticed both in my personal life uh, with my daughter and with my students here at Harley that some students thrived during the pandemic. That model, uh, I'll use my daughter as an example, she has a chronic illness and can't attend school, but the pandemic model of remote learning normalized the way she wanted to learn. But that has now been almost, that rug has been pulled out from under her this year when her school went back to a a standard in-person model. And yet at the same time, some kids really did, and actually the majority of the kids, it did pretty poorly with remote learning, uh, which to me comes up with this sort of weird equity issue uh, in terms of, you know, some kids do well with this one model and other kids don't. And then that flips back. What are your thoughts on how we can try to smooth that, that out for kids going forward? I think it's such an interesting space um, for us to be in. Uh, You know, when we think about the benefits that some students did experience uh, during virtual learning. So for example, the ones who maybe are somewhat hesitant to speak up and have their voices heard in class had a different mode of engaging with folks um, that they didn't originally have. And they were maybe more vocal when they were virtual than they would be in person. Whereas on the other hand, especially when we think I always think through the civics lens, if we really want our kids to be able to engage with their communities and have those hands-on learning experiences, clearly that's not possible or at least extremely difficult as we navigate all of the uh, very important safety protocols um, that are related to just having students out in the community or students in a classroom. I think as schools continue to think through um, what this can look like, it seems that as we transition back into in-person learning, there are some elements of the hybrid learning model that we should definitely hold on to. Um, and you know, <laughs> it's far, far above me um, to, to try and even approximate some kind of policy for schools. But I would definitely say that we gained something through the virtual learning experience that we should really take a step back and reflect upon and say, well, how do we actually incorporate some of the best elements of virtual learning, including a lot more of the visual forms of learning? So incorporating media and talking about media literacy, since we know our kids are going to be engaging with social media so much more if they're not able to be out and about in the way that they traditionally would be. 
It's interesting. That, that was actually the last question that I was going to ask you is, is what are the lessons that we can take out of that? And I think that that's an excellent point um, that I think we did really learn a lot uh, as educators. Uh, we, we had to try some new things that, that um, we never thought we would do, we would, we would be able to use. Uh, and I think hanging on to those things that worked uh, is important. You mentioned uh, what kids are going to be doing uh, in terms of engaging with media and social media going forward. Um, just, of course, my phone's ringing. <laughs> As we, um, wow, I don't even know how to mute it. Um, one of the issues that I noticed and I know was a big issue in many districts with the pandemic model, uh, we were all using technology. We all had to. And that created a number of equity issues. Uh, how did you see that solved in your experience? And what lessons do you think that we can learn from that as we go forward with technology? Within my network uh, at Democracy Prep Public Schools, um, prior to the pandemic and definitely, you know, in, in the midst of this, prior to it, our, we were in the direction of having a one-to-one student-to-laptop ratio. Um, and I think through the pandemic, we were already there, I think in a majority of our, our schools with a couple of exceptions. And then we definitely got there as soon as we realized that it was going to be imperative that every student had access. Um, additionally, there were local partnerships with different organizations that were ensuring, as, and it's, especially because it's New York City, um, where one of our regions is located, where there were a lot of organizations that were making it easier for families to access the internet. Um, that said, I do think as we continue to move in a direction of leaning on different types of technologies for learning, um, I think we should be paying attention to the partnerships that can be formed with different organizations that can support those families who don't have access. Um, and thinking carefully about all of the questions one might ask um, when thinking about adopting a new technology. Um, so whether that's as simple as, is there a laptop? Do the kids have headphones? Is there a quiet space where the kids can work? Do they need multiple laptops if there are multiple kids in a family? Um, what about electricity to power those, those different forms of technology that they're using? So I think it, it requires almost planning backwards, um, which is a term we you know, of course, always use in, in the profession, but really thinking about all of those granular pieces and making sure that there is a plan set in place to make sure that before we say we're adopting X, Y, or Z technology or platform, we have all of the other requisite pieces to make sure that the access is truly equitable for all of our kids, regardless of which network uh, we're operating within. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so you mentioned kids not being able to be as involved in their community, uh, being as engaged in their community. Were there any ways that you found that this experience has expanded ways for kids to get involved that might not have been thought of beforehand? Have you seen Most anything certainly. like that? Most certainly. Um, I think so far as in person, there there is something to be said about the ability to engage with people face-to-face, -face, but we've definitely seen a rise in youth activism online. So they're using their social media platforms to 
raise awareness about issues or participate in fundraisers or couple with the arts um, in order to raise awareness in a different way, to speak to people's emotions, to harness all of their talents in a different fashion, um, to ensure that whatever the issue, whether it's the environment, whether it's racial justice, no matter what the issue is, even simple as wearing a mask in public, which is a civic uh, concern, a civic duty. Um, I think kids have found ways through social media to have their voices amplified. And because that is a technology or a platform um, for which they're actually natives, they're digital natives, I think it's actually easier for them to leverage some of the communities that they've built um, and to teach one another. So one of our alumni actually recently you know, was in the news a number of times for developing a tutoring system using TikTok. Uh, so I've been on TikTok maybe four or five times in my life, but I know it's a platform where folks can just get amass a following of millions. So imagine having that positive message that you're putting out. And even if we look at some of the counterexamples, look how powerful a tweet from someone like Nicki Minaj is, even when it's wrong. How many millions of people will open up a debate? Now you have trips to the White House, you have uh, you know, state officials weighing in because they have to. Um, so it's, a, it's definitely a power that our kids are leveraging and, and with good reason. I, I, I couldn't agree more. Uh, I uh, admittedly uh, do spend some time on TikTok myself <laughs> and I see both the good and the bad. It is remarkable um, how messages can be amplified um, especially on TikTok, it, it has a specific uh, virality to it that I, I haven't really seen in, in other platforms quite so much. Um, but also, uh, it, it's, an, it's so open that more people can get involved in creating, which is what I happen to really like about it. Um, how do you see media platforms uh, in terms of expanding opportunities for more voices to be heard, uh, specifically as it relates to education. I, I think it, it truly is uh, democratizing the creative experience. You don't necessarily need the several thousand dollars expensive camera or lens. You don't need uh, a label standing behind you. If you put out content that connects to the people, your voice is heard. I think the flip side of that is that there isn't the same level of moderation where certain perspectives that do deserve, and well, some, some deserve to be explored and others, I think it's okay for us to draw a line and say, well, if this is hateful or if this is harmful, it doesn't necessarily need a space. And I know that for some that may, at least at surface level, seem controversial, but I do think there are certain issues that... I would stand behind and say this one isn't debatable. Um, you know whether certain groups in society have rights—that that's not debatable to me. I think we can always talk about the how, and to some extent, with with certain you know limitations, we can say, well, yeah, I, I, you deserve to—I'll I'll hear you out. Because um, if we disagree, but we can agree on certain facts and certain understandings about basics in society and science, then we can talk. But I also think there's a danger and an allure to something that sounds really fascinating and you say, oh man, wow, I never thought of it that way. What if that is true? Um, so I, I see both ends, but it also emphasizes the need for us to really focus on media literacy for our young folks 
and teaching them how to engage respectfully when you disagree. So it's not necessarily that because you disagree with something it's wrong, but if you disagree with something, are you asking the right questions to really understand where those statements are coming from, if they're backed up, and then doing that self-reflection and saying, well, if the facts do check out, am I actually mature enough? Do I know myself enough and, and have a strong enough sense of self that I can say, you know what, I'm convinced and I actually have changed my opinion. I think that's fantastic. It's a great perspective. Um, and speaking of being able to reach more people through digital media, we're gonna be able to hear more from you in the Common Speaker Series event on October 5th at 6.30. Folks who want to hear more of what you have to say, um, we don't wanna give away too much and keep talking too much. We wanna save some for the event. Um, that will be on October 5th at 6.30. You can learn more about that, find out where to register for that Zoom event on Harley's social media accounts and website. And Rashid, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to talk to us and I can't wait to hear from you in a couple weeks. Thanks so much. Thanks for joining us today on Joy in Learning, a Harley Schools podcast. We look forward to sharing interesting stories, discussing educational topics, and exploring ideas with you on our next episode. See you again soon.